0: This is Founders Talk, an interview podcast hosted by me, Adam Stakoviak. We profile founders building businesses online as well as offline. If you found the show on iTunes, we're also on the web at 5by5.tv slash Founders Talk. If you're on Twitter, follow Founders Talk and me, Adam Stack. Today's guests are Amy Hoy and Thomas Fuchs, founders of Slash 7. Enjoy the show. I'm here with Amy Hoy and Thomas Fuchs, rhymes with books. They're the powerhouse behind Slash 7, so say hello. Hi. Hello. You have to forgive me, but I'm kind of new to this power couple phenomenon, aka Amy Hoy and Thomas Fuchs. But bring me up to speed. What's your story? Where did you meet? Was it love at first sight? And when did you actually start working together?
1: So we met. Was it 2006, Thomas?
2: Yes, 2006. Yes.
1: In Vancouver at Canada on Rails. Um, it was. It was sort of curiosity at first sight, I guess. <laughs> we were separately intrigued in a weird way, not necessarily a love at first sight way, just sort of like, this is strange. Who is this person kind of way, I think is how I would describe it. (laughs) We were both speaking at the conference about JavaScript, so that was interesting. Um, I first met Thomas when I was looking over his shoulder in the audience, and uh, he was making a screensaver with Quartz Composer with the Maple Leaf animating. And then when David Hanemeyer Hansen did his famous... Um, keynote of his first Rails conference, he said, the f- you, the f- you spiel, and there was the f*** you slide, and Thomas changed his maple leaf screensaver to a f- you screensaver, and that was pretty much how we met. Wow. Because I tapped him on the shoulder.
0: <laughs> Very cool. And I guess for history's sake, uh, because... I- Uh, Like I said, I'm kind of new to to you guys, and uh, I know a little bit about you because of uh, me checking you out and getting interested in wanting to have you on the show. But for the folks who don't know who you are and maybe some of the history, Amy, Thomas, I'm not sure who wants to go first, but maybe give a little bit of of the background of each of you, and and we'll go from there.
1: So I'm an interaction designer and a developer. I'm self-taught. I'm fairly well-known in the Ruby world because when I was learning Rails uh, back when it was really early days, uh, 2006, 2007, I wrote some fairly famous tutorials and made some cheat sheets for active record design patterns and things like that that people found really helpful. Um, But these days, I'm really much more into interaction design, into product design, and that's why we have uh, products that we've made ourselves like uh, Freckle Time Tracking, which is a software service uh, subscription. Uh, web app, and uh, but still interested in teaching, and of course Thomas is JavaScript expert, so we've collaborated on some JavaScript teaching products as well.
2: And Thomas, how about you? What's your story? So uh, I'm from Vienna, Austria, born and raised there, so pardon my accent. Um, I love it, actually. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so... My background is I'm I'm also self-taught, uh, but uh, in programming. So only in programming, really. Uh, computers always fascinated me. I always wanted to know what's like behind this like uh, machine. What's going on in there? Uh, I want to be able to like be in control of the machine. I'm a, I'm a bit of a control freak. So. Uh, I was getting really interested in, in this internet thing, right, when it came out, like in back in '94, '95, and uh, I was starting to hack on things like like Perl and you know uh, CGI bin stuff, and and, and I, so I got into programming the web uh, quite early on, and uh, when the JavaScript stuff came out, it, it got really interesting. Because of like client-side programming, you could suddenly do a lot of stuff. And uh, uh, I think the one thing that like completely turned me over from client-side uh, native application programming to web programming was Internet Explorer 4, because uh, that was the first browser that actually allowed you to do basically almost everything with with the DOM on the client side. And, and from there, it grew. And um, at this, that time, I was an employee at a company. And uh, in 2004, I think, uh, pardon, 2004, I think, uh, I made myself, uh, I I founded my own company, one man company, uh, doing websites and and stuff. And uh, at that time, also, uh, Ruby on Rails came out, the first versions of Ruby on Rails came out at the end of 2004. And so I... I kind of stumbled into the world, and, and, and like, three months later, I was on the core team of Ruby on Rails and hacking uh, with Sam Stevenson on, on, on the JavaScript frameworks that came out there, so uh, that was a, a very interesting time, because we were, like, pioneering this JavaScript framework world, and uh, then later in uh, 2007, 2008, uh, uh, when I got uh, married to Amy, we started... Uh, working on Freckle, our product, our time-checking product, and on some other javascript stuff, so uh, that's where I'm from.
0: Yeah, it seems like uh, Freckle was your biggest moneymaker. I won't, we won't get into that just this moment right now, but it seems like it was... Uh, so that was back in '08. so it's 2010, almost 2011 now, so it's Freckle's a few years old then.
1: Yep, it's... We launched uh, on December 3rd, 2008. So we're just passing the two year anniversary of being public. Well, open to the public, rather.
0: And I guess also for uh, the listeners listening in, Thomas, you're most famous for your Scriptaculous framework. And Amy, you're the most famous designer in the Ruby on Rails world. How did you guys acquire well, I mean, Thomas, we know how you got your title with Scriptaculous and the framework and all that. But uh, Amy, how about you? How did you become the most famous designer?
1: Uh, I hate writing bios. <laughs> I'm probably actually no longer the most well-known designer in the Rails community um, because I've been so occupied with building products that I haven't been making the, the Rails freebies or entering the contests and such as I used to. Um, like when my team won the first Rails day, that kind of like raised one's profile. But um, I have a hard time describing what I do because I, I've had several jobs and I've worked on high-profile projects for large companies and small companies that um, I could talk about, but you'd never see. So um, to, to describe what I do and, and how people might know me or what I'm known for is very difficult because my work is not out there. Until we start making our own products
0: and that and their lines uh, lines the show basically and and Thomas so scriptaculous the framework it's uh, it 's led you into obviously you know a deeper understanding of javascript it 's certainly made a name for yourself um, because I run the changelog with with Win, and you were on episode zero dot three dot nine talking about Scripty two and Zepto and Vapor and all these other fun things you've been doing. It seems like when when uh, we kind of draw back, we look at your products. One of your products really is uh, is just an ex- uh, an example of your knowledge with JavaScript. And you guys had done JavaScript performance rocks. Uh, a question I have for you really is uh, is how has open source in general? This isn't the changelog, but in general, this is a product really. How has open source really fueled, you know, your pocketbook?
2: So, uh, it's, a, it's a good question. Um, the, thing, the one thing um, for me about uh, open source uh, software development is it's, it's very similar to, like, you know, writing a blog or writing books about other stuff. Uh, if you write codes that you share with people... Uh, in the world of code, you can make a name for yourself. If it's good code, if it's picked up by a lot of people, people will start to know you, and clients will come to you, and and uh, will want your knowledge y- using that code. I mean, the Scriptaculous framework—it's still used on sites like Apple.com and you know CNN and IKEA and and, and on other in other places. Not, not only my own software—I write it for myself, but uh, by sharing it with other people for free. Uh, they pick it up, they make it better, they help you find bugs. This is one side of the thing. But but uh, the other side is people will uh, start to know you and, and clients will just come to you. And that's pretty great. So right now, I, I don't need any new clients because we're making our own products. But uh, it certainly, when you get started with your own products, you certainly need some money and uh, clients are great for that. Like, doing consulting on your own open soft, uh, source software is, is amazing.
0: Yeah, the last uh, uh, podcast for Founders Talk, episode number five with uh, the guys from List Everything, Alan had said that um, they technically use their clients as their VC. Is that the same case for you guys?
1: It's a combination of our client work, which we've dramatically scaled back this year, uh, but also smaller products. So for example, um, we've made about just just under $50,000 off our JavaScript performance rocks ebook package. And so that's been a huge help. Um, I'm doing this training course called 30 by 500, where I over a period of several months, walk every people, my students through every step that they need to go through to come up with a product concept that will actually make them money. That will make them a nice solid living, not make them rich, but the name 30 by 500 implies that you have, um, 500 customers that pay you $30 a month on average. And so you get a nice single salary of $180,000 a year Uh, income, of course, before costs. But um, that's the model that we've taken with Freckle and our upcoming products. Um, And so I teach that in that class. The tickets were uh, $750 and 75 students. So that was... 50 grand right there, and that actually, most of that money is going towards our living expenses while we use all of the Freckle money to roll back into building Freckle and our next product, Charm. So we're not actually taking or using any of the money from Freckle to live on. So we're sort of being angels, our own angels, with the little products that we build that have a shorter development time that have a, a faster ramp up in terms of income. Like my, my class, I was able to raise the $50,000 for that in three weeks. Um, granted, the class is ongoing, but I can give that class again. And that's very different than a product, like a subscription service that will, um, you know, earn 2000 one month and 3000 the other over a long period of time. And client work also, uh, we find... Tends to distract from what we're working on, so that it doesn't. The energy that it creates, the momentum client work creates, doesn't really feed back into what we're doing with our products. But these little products do do that. They they dovetail with what we're doing. We don't have to. Um, it's not a matter of the client saying, hey, well, I had a committee meeting and we actually, we want to change this all around. <laughs> and, and that just, that doesn't, that doesn't energize a person. No. Uh, I'm sure they're, yeah. Change is
0: good, me- but when you can't make up your mind and you're constantly in the wish you state you stay, it's bad. Especially yes. if you're trying to be creative and have momentum and it yes. can be a big pain in the butt. It's, it's kind of interesting how you'd said that you're your own angels. Was there an aha moment that you actually came up with that? led into you being your own angels or were you, was this a a grand plan?
1: This was a plan. It was my plan. Um, I've always been sort of a scheming person with money (laughs) in a good way. (laughs) Uh, This is the, uh, obviously I didn't make products when I was younger, but I would have these pushes to earn money so that I could buy something that I wanted when I was a kid. And I guess I've just expanded the scope of that as I've grown up into creating products as opposed to, um, like selling my stuffed animals to raise money which I I have done at one point (laughs) to buy my my first computer that I bought myself
0: I love how you say there's the in one of your blog posts where you kind of describe some of the recent revenue with your products and kind of take people through the steps you say money is a tool for me can you describe that a bit more
1: sure I like money about as much as the next person but I've had lots and lots of money, as well as a corporate gold card, which I could use on pretty much anything I wanted, and um, I've also been so broke that I lived off Top Ramen, and if I hadn't been given $1,000 by a not even very close friend, random guy on the internet to pay my rent, would have been evicted, because I got scammed out of several months' worth of work, and then I got my car stolen, uh, and then I got mono and couldn't work for months and months, so I was like completely screwed. So these different, completely opposite money situations has taught me that money is a thing to be used. It's not an end in and of itself, because when I was earning all that money and had the corporate gold card, uh, I was miserable. I mean, the first few months were great, but uh, after nine or 10 months at the job where my every action was being thwarted and I couldn't actually do anything, I was miserable and I saw so many of my coworkers who also were earning lots of money and didn't even have the gold cards and they just gave up. They weren't working and they were just hanging around and they knew they couldn't be fired. And, but they also knew that their work would never, you know, work. Uh, and they were miserable. They weren't happy to be theoretically free of job worry and rich. Um, they were miserable because they were useless and they knew it. It wasn't their fault. It was the, the corporation's fault but uh, money doesn't make you happy, but building things makes me happy. So we want to have a company that's maybe five to 10 people and to work with people who inspire and excite us that we don't have to like micromanage, but who bring ideas to the table and, and, and take ownership of things and are excited and passionate about something. And that's who, who we want to be around and the kind of place we want to, to work. And we want to build software products that make people happier. It makes our day when we get happy emails from our customers. So money is a tool in the sense that we need, you know, $150,000 a year in revenue from a certain product to hire a person who fits that description. We have our our hires picked out already. (laughs) It's just a matter of getting to the money. And uh, we have this now dual continental lifestyle, and that's expensive, but... In it itself, it's not about spending the money or like, ha I have two apartments. I live in a life of luxury. No, it's about being able to be in the places I want to be and around the people that we want to be around. Because the way it makes us feel, not because we feel, oh, we're rich, we can show off. But rather, like, I like hanging out with these people. And I can do
0: that, and that's awesome. Yeah, I, lo- I, I love it. how money can be a tool like that too. Uh, it, it's really cool. Let's dive into the idea of the the thirty by five hundred launch class. It was formerly known as the Year of Hustle. Um, yes. That launch class there, and that sold out pretty much immediately in two weeks. There was fifty seats. Was it seven hundred fifty bucks then too? I'm just curious.
1: The first one was, uh, I think, five hundred. Five hundred. I forget.
0: <laughs> and so, where did this idea? Where did this idea come from? Did it exp- like? Um, did it did it evolve from the Year of Hustle, or did thirty thirty by five hundred? Did it come from just was it an evolution of that?
1: Yes, thirty by five hundred uh, is a revision and reordering and massaging of the content from the Year of Hustle, and the way that I'm teaching is an evolution. Like I, we put on I put on the class with my friend Alex, and uh, we Alex Hillman is the founder, co-founder of Indy Hall, which is, in my opinion, the best co-working location in the world. It's in Philadelphia, which is where we are right now. And he and I have completely different perspectives on the entrepreneurial thing, but we, we work with the same types of people all the time and see that they, they need help and they need guidance and they want it. And so we came up with this product together, the year of hustle class, and we taught that together. And um, from that experience, we learned a whole lot about how people learn and how people get... Caught up on ideas and how maybe we contributed a little bit to them getting freaked out about their ideas as opposed to the things that actually get you to a, a viable business. And so I've reordered all of the content and built a, a slightly higher level framework and slotted it all in. Um, and the reason that I'm I'm really excited about this class because I think that the world will be a better place. On like a macro level and on a micro level, when more people who have the means to create things create viable products they can earn money from and don 't have to survive as a consultant or in a job if they don 't want to and it 's nice to work with people who are building things that they care about and you can interact directly with the designer or the programmer
0: you 've seen the flip side being in in large organizations where people like you had mentioned they were making lots of money they had opportunities but their work wasn't getting used and you know essentially they were you know they're being bled of their creativity and their their happiness so it seems like all of the things you're doing with products and your your inertia is really uh based upon happiness
1: it it really it really is that's a very good observation and it actually took me a while to realize that <laughs> my, my my own self uh one of those myopia oh. things but but yes i am. Um, It's amazing if you look at people that you know who are consultants or employed. Like uh, over three years, I worked on several multi-hundred thousand dollar projects inside companies you haven't heard of and and ones you have like Bear Stearns, and none of them shipped. It wasn't because of me. Um, I did the best work that I possibly could. It's just that things changed and they ripped it all apart, or Bear Stearns, of course, I was there the day, that they got, the day after they got sold the forced selling over the weekend um, with the whole, during the, fi- the very beginning of the financial crisis. Of course, our project got canned, and I was designing an interface for this uh, enterprise-class mail transfer agent, and their deadlines loomed, and so they just ripped out all the work and went back to auto-generated forms. And just like over and over... I had worked for three years in companies and had nothing to show for it, and that's normal. Statistics are something like seventy or eighty percent of IT projects fail to ever ship, which is unbelievable. What do you think of?
0: Yeah, that's a shame. I was going to say that's yeah. Sometimes it's just the name of the game, though. I mean, sometimes they it really is a shame it comes from upper management sometimes th- sometimes things are just completely out of control you can be uh, creating the best products in the world but if you are, n- are not leading the project right or not funding the project right or are not cultivating ideas right or even treating the people that are creating the product i mean things can really go downhill And i think it's it's a there's always lessons learned in that but i guess coming from lessons learned how do you think your life would be different if you realized happiness was your true goal Uh, You know, a few years ago, I I guess maybe this was a few years ago. How long ago was it that you really had the aha moment that it was really about happiness?
1: It was actually pretty recently. I know I wanted to make software that felt good and left people feeling good, but I didn't I didn't realize the overarching thing is is sort of happiness slash personal empowerment. However douchey that may sound. I think that that was really about six months ago that I actually looked at all the different stuff I was doing and go, wait a minute. Freckle actually makes sense with the thirty-five, thirty by 500 class. They actually have the same purpose from an upper level. It was really only about six months ago that I realized that. I'm a, not the most perceptive person.
0: <laughs> what? Uh, before we dive deeper into some questions, let, do you mind just uh, giving me a gist of all the products you've got under your arsenal right now?
1: Sure. So we have Freckle, which is a, a time-tracking tool, but it does a lot more than that. It's, it really helps you get... A 360 degree view of your time and understand and make decisions as well about your clients that you take on or keep we have JavaScript Performance rocks which is an ebook package that comes with a diagnostic tool also that's aimed at making web pages and especially JavaScript code more performant we have our various JavaScript and html5 workshops which are um, they're one shots they're not products that you buy but they're classes that you attend in person or online uh, and there's my thirty by five hundred workshop, which is uh, technically four month long, a set of lessons and exercises and homework and discussions. And right now, we're also working on Charm Desk, which is not public yet, which is uh, an email and customer support tool specifically for um, businesses like ours. We we get a lot of email.
0: You know, one of the things that uh, while we're on the note of Charm Desk and looking at the URL and. Um, looking at the URL for JavaScript Rocks, I I, I can't help but see something very subtle, yet very cool in the usage of the way you use the URL to describe your products, like javascriptrocks.com forward to actually javascriptrocks.com forward slash performance, and it's actually called JavaScript Performance Rocks. I think that's really cool. And then Charmdesk is, you know, charm, D-E, dot, S-K. How do you come up with, I mean, obviously you're super creative, but i think it's that level of detail in people's products these days uh, what is detail to you in your products i see that you've got some phenomenal uh content for freckle your manifesto i mean you've got tons of content for your blog and how to use things how do you come up with all of this content and how much time do you pour into it
1: so thank you it's it's nice to hear that it looks good from the outside because from the inside i know that i'm <laughs> way behind where i want to be we
0: well, are your <laughs> worst critic you know
1: Totally. But um, our blog, the Freckle blog, is like dead. It hasn't been updated in a couple of months except for uh, product update announcements. So um, I think actually the thing that I should most say in response to this question is that we screw up a lot. Like we will get busy doing one thing and neglect the blog or fail to email our customers for months on end. Um, It's something we're working on. But um, how do I create all the content? Well, I have frenzied times where I do a lot and then I have times where I slack off and don't do anything and then feel guilty and, and then I avoid it and then I have another frenzy eventually <laughs> which is not the way I recommend working by the way and as far as names go I think names are important but I would not advise anyone to wait and and freak out about the name um, if they can't come up with the perfect name I will say I don't think jumping on trends like adding L-E to the L sorry L-Y and turning your name into an, an adverb is a good idea. It's like uh, web, like Webstatly, fake name. It's just as cool as Webstats a go-go. I wouldn't do it. But my names are all um, nouns. And they're, they're fun, upbeat nouns. But the, the number one thing I think is important about a name is people remember it. They can spell it. And there's not a million high-quality search results for the word. That's all I really care about. It sounds good. It's easy to say, easy to spell. And as far as the domain stuff you specifically noticed, I actually would advise against that. I think it's hurt us. And people are not realizing it's .sk for Charm Desk. We're not going to keep that. And the JavaScript rocks domain I bought for something completely else, and we reused I don't think JavaScript performance rocks is a very good name. In terms of uh, people, don't remember it.
0: <laughs> I, mean, I think it's like a blog post or something like that. I wasn't really that. That is true. And, and until I started to kind of dig into, uh, you know, extracting this story and talking to you guys, I I wasn't. Um, I think I'd actually seen that uh, that rocket ship ad, Thomas, that you have on the site there, and I wasn't really sure what it pointed back to. I guess because I didn't investigate, but you, you could be right on that. But I think it's pretty cool. The subtleness, though, I think you know, while it may not have been uh, long term the best idea to, like you had mentioned in terms of what came out of it, how you use your URLs, but I think the it lends to the the detail, your attention to detail. Um, Thank you. Let's let's dive into Freckle real quick. Why? This is a time tracker. There's a number of time trackers. It, I'm not even sure if the, we would call the space uh, saturated whatsoever, but what, uh, what caused you to create it? Was it because you experienced some pain with another app? Or where did this come from?
1: It was all about the pain. You got it. it was. I, I've tried all of the time tracking tools, and um, many of them take time and spit time out in reports you know, competently, but they don't help you figure out what you should be doing or if you're doing the right things or if particular clients cost more than the others in terms of overhead. And honestly, the last straw was when I was using one of the time trackers and I was trying to use the uh, Apple, I forget what it's called, the widget thing. What's that widget thing called?
0: Dashboard?
1: Dashboard. Yes. It was a dashboard widget. And I would wanted to enter the time from the dashboard widget, but no, the dashboard widget was only a timer i had no choice. it was trying to force me to work the way that they had decided I should work, and I was not into that and it was just like the moment of rage. <laughs> I was like, damn it, I'm going to show you how it should be done, which is pretty much how I design stuff.
0: (laughs) And then, uh, bless you for finding Thomas, because uh, to define your roles, uh, you're more of the product creator, namer, designer, interface person, but you don't actually touch any code. Is that right?
1: Yep. Yeah. I have barely touched any code in Percl at all. I could, but... I've gotten so rusty doing all this other stuff that it's so slow and frustrating for them to watch me code that Thomas pretty much just takes it away
2: from me. So a- Amy, Amy already, uh, actually did a JavaScript tutorial at OSCON once, so she is good with codes, but um, we're better.
1: Yeah, they're way faster. But they can't design or, or name stuff or market. So it's okay.
0: <laughs> well, well, the lesson learned from that is that you do the job until you know that, uh, you know, basically do the job until the point that you can hire somebody else, but you know how to hire somebody else. And I guess you don't really hire your husband. You sort of just let him do his thing. But at the same time, you can understand the pain that the person is going to feel because you've you've had the job before and you've done the job before.
1: Yeah. And it, you can't hire your husband. It, well, at least, unless you're offering like actual salaries in the company, which is not how we do it, but you can nag them, nag him rather. <laughs>
2: how often do you get nagged, Thomas? Uh, quite often. I'm 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 kind of a lazy person. I, I, I like to, uh, you know, finish something and then like, wow, that's awesome, and, and then I'm kind of slow to move on to the next thing. I'm also easily distractible, so um, it's 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 you know, it's good to have a team. Uh, you, you can just kick each other's butts all the time and then uh, stuff moves forward more quickly as opposed if you would just do everything alone. I think people that are like single founders that do everything themselves have a hard time motivating themselves because in a team, the other people are just waiting for your stuff to be finished. And, you know, so there is a dynamic there that, that comes out of just that multiple people are working on the same thing.
0: You know, what I loved uh, about zooming out from from this big picture, and maybe it's not something you guys noticed, but um, looking at all of the different uh, the products you've got, I think it's kind of wild how you've taken to story, and it was free, it was fun, it was a very fun visual experiment from what I understand, but I like how you've actually spun that. This little fun thing into money. Like you've got a Mac app, you've got the the free web app, and then you even have the free downloadable downloadable screensaver. It seems like from each opportunity you plug into yourself either through free code to the community like Scriptaculous or you know a fun experiment like Twist Story. Somehow, some way, you're turning everything into a product. It's like products, products, products. How did that come about? Like it's just intense. How it's just products.
1: That uh, Twist Story actually was the beginning of us making stuff together. That was the very first thing. And the, the funny story there is that I had pitched the idea of Story plus a whole bunch of other stuff as sort of mining this passive data that, that no one has ever had before. Twitter data is very different than blog posts or emails or um, forum posts because those are always more considered. Twitter was, has always been more stream of consciousness. And I, I pitched it to Twitter headquarters uh, in a meeting with the big guys, the big guys, <laughs> the big guys <laughs> in 2007. And it's like, it seemed to really like it, but they had obviously way too much stuff on their plates. And so um, nothing ever happened. I wanted to do it with them. And it just, they just did not uh, have the, the resources to even think about it really beyond that meeting. Cause they were so busy scaling and growing. Uh, and so I was kind of miffed. They did the right thing, absolutely, in our respect, but I was kind of miffed, and then I realized, well, why, why would I wait for somebody to hire me to do this? I'm being a hypocrite, and that was like the moment, and so I um, was going to just do just a tiny bit of it, and I thought, what's the fastest way to get something done? I know I will consume the RSS feeds of the search results, back when it was the um, search engine thing that they bought, rather than actual Twitter search, and they still had RSS options. And so I talked to Thomas about consuming the RSS, converting it to JSON, because I'd seen a tool somewhere that did that. And uh, he actually was in the bathtub at the time. I kind of stormed in and said, hey, did you see that tool that converts RSS to JSON? Do you remember what it was called? And then he ended up actually uh, taking over that part of the project, and we built it, and we shipped it that day. And ever since then, it's been about products for me. I always knew I should make products, but I'd never actually done it. I guess... I was so used to project, product, project and consulting or, or uh, employee situations dying that I, I didn't have the, the will to do it.
0: It's sad when you put yourself in a box too. like that. You kind of get tunnel vision and you, f- you forget that there is other opportunities. You can break the rules and you can bust out of this box you've put yourself in. And uh, I think it's I've seen myself be in that situation before and I think it's important when you realize you're in that box you've got to get out. you got to find a way out. And I think um, some of the stuff you've done like specifically this 30 by 500 launch class I was really impressed with this um, when did this start is it going on right now this is, this is December this is your month off right
1: yes it's going on right now because uh, I was so sick it's a week behind but our break starts this weekend um, and I'm taking off but there's a system set up because the students are still doing some research and giving some time for ideas to percolate which is really important last class was way too rushed didn't work out um, and I'm sorry, I just lost my train of thought there.
0: <laughs> people were getting lost.
1: <laughs> sorry, <laughs> people were getting lost. I just got lost.
0: <laughs> we all get lost.
1: <laughs> we all get lost. We bounce so it, back. It runs till March, and uh, so this is a long, it's a long slog.
0: What time? What type of people are uh, are attending this class? Like, what kind of? I see in your uh, in your description for it that um, you know that. I guess the lack of – the easiest way to say it is that um, share your ideas, that no one is there. It's an honor system. No one there is to steal your idea. Besides, your idea is probably a poo-poo anyways. It's really about execution. (laughs) So what types of people are coming to this class, and what are they getting from it?
1: It's primarily developers. And because of me being known in the Rails community because of all of the tutorials and cheat sheets, it's primarily Rails developers. There's a couple graphic people and a couple people who are, are interested in um, building large products but they're not developers. So I think we have a guy who's a like fitness expert um, and we have um, some tech consultants who do like system infrastructure and building and fixing and setting up that kind of system but not programming also. But it's primarily tech people almost exclusively programmers uh, who have the means of production, as it were. And so um, they probably mostly know me from my, my Rails community fame because that's still the strongest part of, of my audience. And uh, so they're almost all exclusively also going to be building web applications. It's a very, it's actually quite niche.
0: And so the basics of five hundred is basically that... Uh you need thirty bucks a month from at least five hundred customers or vice versa, five hundred from at least thirty, uh, from anywhere in the world. Is that how did you come up with that concept? Like when did you when did that burst into your mind? Like you had done the year of hustle launch class before that and you said you'd extracted some of this from that. How did you come up with this formula?
1: I I think of freckles money is that way. So I'm a hustler. I'm always thinking about the numbers. And I found myself doing projections for Freckle. How many customers customers will we need? At which price points? What's the mix that we need? What's the mix that we have? And how do we get from there to the other? When I realized, I was thinking, okay, well, we need X hundred thousand dollars of income to hire this person and that person and for us to have more time to devote to Freckle itself as a product and blah, blah, blah. And we have Charm coming up and doing these projections. And I realized that it's all about the formula. And Adam Smith... Uh, you know, the famous Invisible Hands, Wealth of Nations guy, talked about large markets uh, versus smaller markets, which are actually less focused. So his example was that a woodworker in a small town would have to be able to do everything because a small town is a small market. It's, it's a very diverse market in their needs, but it's not a diverse market and that there's only a certain number of people who are going to hire this person period and he he will the person who works with would have to be diverse in his offerings meanwhile in a large market you could have someone who specializes in just making barrels because say across all of london how many barrels would the guy need to sell to, to just do barrels there's such a huge market um that it actually allows the person to focus and the internet is a huge market You don't have to have a product with wide appeal if you can find 500 people across the entire internet world to pay you $30 a month to create $30 worth of value for 500 people in the entire world on the internet. It's not hard.
0: That's a small niche, yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty achievable, too, and it's almost encouraging. Like, wow, when I saw that formula, I was like, I really wanted to sign up. I wasn't in a place, not so so much financially, but just wasn't in a place in my life right now that uh, it made sense for me to sign up. I was like, you know, I really uh, am intrigued by this formula. I'm intrigued by this class. And I, I really actually wanted to sign up badly because it seems so achievable. Like if you can really just think about some simple ideas, solve 500 people's problem. And that's just the start. That's just the the basic formula. I mean, obviously, you can go much further than that and, you know, bust that number out. But the basic formula seems so achievable.
1: I think that it really is and that we all get distracted because pretty much all of the media that we consume that's about creating products or creating businesses is about startups. So you hear about millions of customers you know, billions of dollars.
0: And that allows the box. That's the box that everybody kind of puts themselves in. They have to be the Facebook. Yeah. They have to be this huge thing when realistically, you, you know, you kind of set the tone here with 30 by 500.
1: Yes. It's all about the goal. What is the goal? If the goal is to have something you can be proud of that helps people and make a good living, it's really not that hard. And, and then it's really all about looking at what you want to achieve and figuring out working backwards from that to how you can achieve it, which sounds totally obvious, but someone actually at that crazy corporation where I had the gold card and all that money and the miserable people who, who didn't work because they wouldn't get fired. (laughs) (laughs) Someone asked me, the guy I had hired who then quit. (laughs) Um, He asked me, well, do you want to be right or do you want to be effective? And, Pretty much all of the course that I've constructed is around this idea because effective means that you have a goal and you can decide whether you want to achieve that goal or whether you just want to do what feels good for your ego at the time being. And thinking that you're going to build the next Facebook or the next Evernote or whatever, that feels good for the ego, but it's not effective. The chances of you actually achieving that are very slim, especially if you start from scratch. But if you say, my goal is to earn a really good living, and to take off as much vacation as I want and to only work four-day weeks or whatever, to work from anywhere, or in my case, to hire a team of my top choice people to work with all the day and be inspired with. Then you say, well, I want to achieve this goal. How do I achieve it? And that makes everything beautifully clear. And you realize I only need, you know, in my case, say a 1,000 or 1,500 customers paying that much per month across the entire world to fund that lifestyle that I want. It gives you a roadmap in a way and it changes everything to think about it in terms of effectiveness.
0: Speaking of lifestyle, what is Unicorn Free?
1: So (laughs) Unicorn Free is my no bullshit business blog. This is the message I want to spread whether people pay me for it or not. And I want to counteract what I see as startup tabloid media, which is pretty much the only startup media. There's not a lot of alternatives. There's almost nowhere you can go talks about building products and doesn't also mention you know google acquisitions i want to counteract that and i see those as unicorns they don't exist magical wishful thinking fairy dust farting rainbows (laughs) etc
0: and so unicorn free is is it's a is it an idea what exactly is it
1: um As as is so much of the things I do that seem purposeful afterwards, this happened when I was drunk, and I don't remember exactly what happened. Um, (laughs) I was looking through the notes in my iPhone and saw that I had written a note. um, Unless you can monetize glitter and rainbows, don't base your business off unicorns. I have no idea where I got that from. It may have been when I was at the Vienna Schatzkammer, looking at one of the most uh, prized possessions of the, the former ruling family, which was a a unicorn horn, but of course it was actually a narwhal tusk. Right. And narwhals are actually way less believable, way more fantastical than unicorns. <laughs> <laughs> and I had written this note somewhere along the line, probably at a pub, while drinking beer, and I discovered it and I thought, that's it. That's how I can sell this idea.
0: So if you had to give some fantastic advice to try, you know diehard entrepreneurs that are just they have the drive. They just don't have the idea. They just don't have all the right ingredients for the recipe. What kind of advice can you give to today's entrepreneur that, that can get them out of the box and being unicorn free and creating products and, uh, and embracing this, this formula, whether they come to your class or not?
1: So I'm going to say three things. First of all, decide what it is that you want to achieve. And like get really concrete about it, like how much do you want to earn like what kind of of business do you want to run um, doesn 't have to be a really like a five year plan, but say like I want to earn bring in like two hundred thousand dollars a year okay that 's a great place to start. Two study a market, forget ideas, go actually spend lots of lots of time with people who obviously like to pay for things, people who you like and can imagine doing business with. So um, don't target people who don't pay. For example, don't try to sell to enterprises because as an individual, you'll never make the sale. Don't try to sell to nonprofits because, of course, most of them don't want to spend their money. They're very, very conservative in that sense. Don't target college students because they don't pay for anything, et cetera, et cetera. And learn how you can create X dollars a month worth of value for them. Be very pragmatic. Don't say, how can I change their lives? But no, how can I say, you pay me $30 and I'll save you $60 a month or earn you $60 a month. Make it about the math. And then when you find that, build it and charge for it as soon as possible. Like Freckle, when we shipped, you can log time and you can report time. But that's pretty much all of it it did. And everything but the time entry was very very basic and very rough but we had about 1300 dollars of business after our first 30-day trial so there were people who found that useful immediately even though even though like password reset button didn't work and um there was no csv export and we had product budgets but project budgets but they didn't really work very well and it was it was crappy and missing a lot there was no timer there was no single plan for, for solo freelancers. It was completely different. And, but people paid because...
0: Because you charge for it.
1: We charged for it <laughs> and we put it out there. And it's not... When you discover places to create value for people, that's great. But don't confuse finding a place to create value with knowing exactly what people value, if that makes sense you should put it, your product out there when it's not done. I'm not the only person who's saying this, obviously. Um, the whole idea of minimum viable product and um, ship half a product instead of a half-assed product is to let people choose themselves whether they'll pay for it or not. And if you push it live and you have an audience, but no one pays for it yet, well, that's fine. You didn't actually lose anything, but you may gain something.
0: Last question. Let's. Uh, this is my favorite question, really. It's uh it's really about uh, exposing something that, that isn't known. So the question is, is there anything that uh, that is super secret that you and Thomas are working on that no one else knows about that you could talk about today here on the show?
1: What do you think, Thomas? KO? Well, I'll let you do the talking for once.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we are working on, on uh, to-do lists that actually work because... Um, We've noticed that there's a lot of to-do software out there, and none of it really works. There's some that are pretty good, but with most of them, most people like spend five minutes or, or maybe a day even, and then they just forget about it completely. But but we're working on like a super cool to-do list uh, uh, application, and uh, it's it will be a web application, and. Uh, The one thing about it is it will integrate with both Twitter and Freckle. So you you will be able to track your time from the to-do list directly, which will be really awesome. And uh, uh, the other thing that you will be able to do is you will be able to share to-do lists with other people (laughs) that that you have on Freckle or in uh, Twitter. So you will really easily be able to... uh, Share these to dos with other people. That will be really awesome. I think.
0: And the product is called what again?
2: It's, it's ko lists dot com for it's knockout lists. Knockout lists.
0: That's awesome. I love that. Thank you. Uh, I've always been wanting to share lists. Anyways, I'm a I'm a big. I just read this book called Goals not long ago from Brian Tracy, and it, it the the easiest way to drill down the essence of the book is that our jobs are to create goals. Create plans to achieve those goals and work on those plans every day. That's the essence of the book. And since then, I've embraced lists far more than I've ever embraced lists in my life. So it's encouraging to hear this. And I know, you know, not to teach your horn again, Thomas, but you know, you're, you're phenomenal with JavaScript and Amy. You code, and you don't code anymore, but you design some elegant, very beautiful UI. So I'm very excited about uh, about KL lists.
1: Thank you. Thank you. And but as with Freckle, the first version is only a pale shadow of what we imagine. <laughs> so if you're, if you're disappointed, come back. I don't think you will be, but it's, it's very much other uh, development. And, and as you said earlier, um, how our little projects like TwiStory um, and the other mini sites that we have sort of feed into the other ones, well, Knockout List is at first going to be a free app while we develop it further, but it will essentially serve as a promotional tool and uh, for Freckle because you'll be able to log your time to freckle with ko lists and for all our freckle customers who've been begging us to make a product a project management application uh, they of course will be very happy so it's it's a combination making our customers happy um, hopefully getting on life (laughs) hacker to get some freckle signups because that would be awesome and building a product essentially in public
0: very cool, and hey, thanks for sharing too. I love when people share super secret stuff, and you guys are an awesome team. What I what I probably just easily call a, a power couple. That's. uh that's a, an easy thing to say me and my girlfriend we're actually a power couple too. We have yet to achieve some of the success you and Thomas have had so I'm encouraged by your uh, you know your marriage and working together and what you've been able to achieve it's it's kind of cool. So thanks for sharing the super secret and you know thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. It's been great.
1: Thank you for thank having you us. It was awesome. Yeah,
2: thank you.
0: Thanks to our sponsors github.com and getharvest.com for making the show possible. And thanks to you for listening. You can hear past episodes of this show and find out about all of our other shows by visiting 5by5.tv. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating the show on iTunes. It's the best way to help new listeners find out about the show.